Hey devs, you're tuning into the debug log number 74. So today's episode, of course, is a great one. It's actually a special treat this time because today we have an interview with one of our very own, and I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this one. Uh, we're actually talking to Zach Schneider, and he's telling us about how he's transitioned from you know being an avid gamer to an avid and very capable game developer. Uh, so what, that's what we talk about. We get into how he made this transition from gamer to game developer and how his passion has really fueled his progress as a game developer. So I will not kind of uh, belabor the point or try to tell too much of his story because we get into all that and I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it like I always am. Uh, so I hope you do enjoy it. Without further ado, this is the Debug Log, episode 74. It started now. Gestalt it. Um, Everything is on the record for now. You're tuning into the... Wait, you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> that's my other podcast. Oh, oh that's my other <laughs> Listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name's Obino Opara, and that's it. It's just me. Uh, but not quite, actually. We got a really, really great surprise for you guys today. We're actually interviewing one of our own, one of our dear, dear co hosts. Uh, this is our first, um, I guess, soiree into this type of interview, uh, which is actually recommend, recommended from one of our loungers, uh, Walter Drafen. He sent us an email slash wrote on our uh, you know, Debug Lounge uh, page about wanting to hear more about our stories. And that's where this this kind of birthed out of that. And uh, so anyway, I'm let me introduce our first co-host uh, who's going to be talking to you today, talking to us today about his experience and his growth as a developer. And that is Zach Schneider. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thanks. It's good to be back. It was, it was actually really hard. <laughs> it was really hard not to not to say my name after yours. I have to say there's a little pause. Funny. and I was like, uh, do I say it? No, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> that is too funny. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of weird just being interviewing you right now. I don't know what to say. I, I don't know why I'm nervous. Why am I so nervous? <laughs> Tell oh, me Zach. about it. We haven't really <laughs> talked about ourselves uh, since like the the first episode, right? Since we gave a little background of ourselves. So yeah, this God be, help this us will be on fun. that first episode. I someone else also wrote. In our lounge and they were just talking about how they listened to our first episode and i'm like please don't listen to the first episode this is going to be a better better introduction to us so anyway let's get started and uh zach i think this is how we start all of our interviews i usually go on their linkedin and i tell them i stalk them uh but you i don't stalk because i've known you so but all of our listeners i'm sure they want to know more about your history as a game developer so can you tell us how you got into games uh and how you got to where you are right now sure um i've always loved play well I can't say always love playing games. I didn't get into games until uh, I was probably, I think, 11 years old. Uh, I think my first, well, I played games before that, but I was never really into them. And then Star Wars Knights of the Republic came out. And I remember playing that game for hours and hours in my basement. And I loved that game. I actually played that game all throughout like high school and all the way up through college, too. Um, but I was, um, originally I wanted to be an architect, actually. Uh, yeah, so I was going to Kennesaw State University uh, in Georgia, and it was um, it just wasn't nothing was really clicking there. And I wanted to go to a more technical school, so I went to uh, Southern Poly, uh, which is now non-existent. Actually, uh, 
Kennesaw bought Southern Poly, so I ended up not escaping Kennesaw. I just had to go back. That's too funny. Um, but anyway, so I switched there to become a, a physicist because I, I love physics. I love doing math. All that stuff is very interesting to me. Uh, but Calculus 3 was starting to kick my butt, mm-hmm. uh, which everybody says is the easiest uh, um, calculus, but uh, it was not for me for some reason. Um, anyways, th- I was there, and I wasn't doing so hot in math or whatever. My brother was like, you know what? You love playing games. Why don't you you know, check out computers, try try." try a game class or something. I was like, all right, yeah. My very first game class I took off and I loved it. Uh, I love coding the logic in it, you know, solving problems. And the main, one of the main reasons I wanted to become an architect was to, so I can build things and make, mm-hmm. you know, put my own stamp on things and, and make it my own. And programming really allows you to do that, especially in games. You really get to add your own creative, uh, you know, flair to things, which is just a, is very is is a life changing event for me, obviously. Um, but yeah, yeah. So so about that, I'm actually curious. Like, when do you like? Can you think back to the time when you first thought of this concept of game development and what your idea of what game development was, uh, or and like how does that compare to what your reality of like when you started taking those classes and started getting into games? Like, how did that compare to what you thought game development was to what it actually is? That is a very good question. I, I you know, I was th- I thought about this the other day completely unrelated to this this interview and I kind of laughed at myself, but when I was a kid, I was thinking about so in in terms of Star Wars Knights of the Republic, you can change your armor and it's reflected in game, you know, it's not like you change your armor and nothing happens, but you actually get to see yourself outfitted in different things and I was like, how do they do that? And my 11-year-old brain was like, oh, well they must just film a character in every pose. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> in in every combination of of outfit, not not just you know swapping out meshes and mm-hmm. swapping out textures, but actually, you know, filming a character moving in every position. And then as I got older, I was like, well, that's not really possible. But I really don't know how they do it. And then after going to school for it, I'm like, oh man, I was so dumb. So wait, did you think it was like? Did you think it was harder than it was, or did you think it was easier than it was? Um, like looking. It, you know, harder or easier isn't really the terms as far as, I, I guess, more memory intensive than otherwise. Like, so I always thought that you had one. So in ter- in putting it in terms of, of game design and, and games, you know, I thought it was an, one FBX per combination of clothing. Okay. Well, you, Which yeah, was, you went really detailed in that one <laughs> that response. Uh, I, yeah, I get just, what you're saying. Though. Yeah, I have to say that to to kind of put it in terms for somebody who is familiar with how mm-hmm. dumb that idea was. Um, okay. But yeah, it was is crazy. Interesting. Cool. So, do you think you know? You mentioned that your brother like came up to you and said, "Hey, you should go into games because you like playing games." Do you feel like that passion for games really translated, truly translated for your passion for game development, or do you think those are like completely separate entities and ideas and don't really mesh in how it actually came into fruition as far as your career goes? Um, I, I think playing games has strongly influenced my uh, my want to be well. To it's it's molded me into a better game maker. So, like playing so many different games, I see so many di- different people's takes on game mechanics. I see new game mechanics coming out all the time that nobody's ever really thought of, and that always makes me, I guess, think a little harder about what I'm doing and 
like focus on usability because I have things that I hate when I play in games. I'm like, you know what? If I make a game, I'm never going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I come in and I'm like, well, okay, this is why they do that. But let's try to think of a better way to do that. Yeah, yeah. And saying Ooh. things like that is, is kind of vague, but for like to give an example, like sorting UI stuff or stacking UI items, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So, uh, you know, that might be a mechanic that somebody was actually going for so that you can't fill up your or you fill your inventory up so much. But that mm-hmm. always bugged me when I was playing games. So interesting. Interesting. Cool. So I'll be frank, actually. The, one of the main reasons I wanted to bring you on first uh, over the other co-hosts is because you've had a really, to me, what I see is a very interesting uh, quote unquote upbringing into game development as far as like your coursework and what you did in school. Uh, you said you went to physicist and, you know, mathematician and architect and all that stuff, but you ended up going for actual game development coursework and, and actually focusing mm-hmm. on that. Whereas opposed like, whereas our other uh, co-hosts, they actually went in for more of the strict, rigid, you know, I'm just going to be the computer science generous generalist, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I, I wanted to bring you on first. And, and I, the whole theme of this, you know, you kind of transferring from being like an avid gamer to a game developer. And that kind of tr- transition or trajectory is what I feel like a lot of our, maybe not a lot of our listeners, but some of our listeners can, I guess, vibe with and, and relate to. So anyway, my question is, uh, do you feel like that, you know, that game development coursework that you did at uh, Southern Polytechnic and Kennesaw, did that actually prepare you for the roller coaster that is, you know, a game development studio? That, um, I've, I've actually talked a little bit about this before, and, and uh, I was actually talking to Ryan the other night when we were playing Xbox together, and I was talking about that because he uh, he's, has experience interviewing people, and he was interviewing a guy who didn't know how to do a lot of things, like, and I share that experience. So coming into the gaming, uh, well, not necessarily the gaming community, but coming into a professional environment, I didn't know a lot of the, well, I know the technical terms. I don't use the technical terms a lot. I'm like, oh, you know, just do that, that database thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I know, I know how it functions. However, mm-hmm. if you ask me to go write something in PHP and I'm like, uh huh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'd, I'd be up a creep without a paddle. Um, but I, I don't know it. My schooling really taught me how to focus on what makes a game good and kind of try to minimize what game makes a game bad. So really focus on those fun interactions and, uh, and it, it wasn't very code centric. So for instance, I, like I say 90% of the time uh, that I coded was in my final two classes at Southern Poly. So it was it was in my studio and capstone class when in, in these classes I say okay make a game go and they go okay you can be in a group or you can be in uh you know you can do it by yourself uh, I chose to do it by myself uh, just because there was wasn't really anybody I wanted to work with and because I'm amazing here goes <laughs> well, I mean <laughs> if you say so uh, anyways um no it was just I, I had an idea for a game and I wanted to do it and. Everybody else had already kind of partnered up and the the people left and I, I don't want to say it a service to them, but they didn't like the same types of games that I did. So they wanted to do different things. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do the game I like. And it wasn't until three quarters of the way through the semester that I realized I picked I, I made a first person shooter uh, by myself in three months. And I was like, OK, I obviously bit off a lot more than I can chew. It gave me a lot of 
good references to like scope and really knowing what I need to do, you know, to to limit that scope so I can complete something in the amount of time, which is something that I think has prepared me for later on. Um, however, not knowing things like uh, uh, what's it called um, version control coming out mm-hmm. of school, like I knew a version control. One of my professors was like, hey, when you get to the professional environment, you're going to use version control. <laughs> that was the limit of my education on that. So, of course, first two weeks I get on the job, they say, hey, can you set up a new server for our Git repositories? I'm like, uh, yeah. So I had to go and uh, sat on lynda.com and learn how to do it for about two weeks. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a, a good, uh, I guess, point that I wanted to talk about is your, your your transition into game development it was i would say it's atypical than uh you know for a lot of game developers that eventually you know enter the industry uh whereas you know right out of college you were into a professional game studio uh and you know there's this idea or conception that the game development industry is really hard like entering is a really tough order or tall order to get mm-hmm. into it's really hard to get into uh, what do you think made it so easy for you to jump right into the game development role? Um, for me, it was, I guess it was being passionate. So for instance, I, um, I recently had to interview a bunch of interns that actually went to the same school I did. And one of the criteria I was judging on was that their passion for game design. And the way I judged this was how active were they in making games outside of in school? Mm-hmm. Right. So the 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 things that they had from working, I mean, so most of the projects that I had coming into the work environment that I had to show for myself, my portfolio were things that I did do in school. However, I took those things that I did in school and I finished them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I had these complete projects to show in this code to show people, whereas a lot of the kids that I was seeing that weren't getting these jobs and weren't getting these internships have. OK, well, this is a Connect Four game I made. It's not really working right now, but this is, you know, this is what I have. And it was, I mean, it was very stark portfolio. So I think coming out of, out of there, I really, I I had to focus on my passion, which was making games. So even when I wasn't in school, making things and keeping my skills sharp and keep on learning was really important. Gotcha. So would you like say that as like a, a hard recommendation, like especially for people who are, eager to get into the game industry and, you know, fresh out of college, fresh out of university is to have a, a sizable portfolio or just to have a portfolio of working games that they can, you know, show. Uh, sizable is not the quality to me mm-hmm. might be better than sizable, but depending yeah. on, you know, the size. So like if you have like 30 games that you're working on, that might not look too, too nice to somebody who's looking out here. Like, okay. Well, they're, they're obviously spreading their time out over a bunch of different things. Can they actually focus on one thing and get it done? People like to see complete games. Um, so like for instance, the, the, the one big game that I had was it, it had a start, a middle and an end to it. It might've not been uh, visually complete as, because I'm, I'm not really an artist. So everything I had, I got from, you know, the asset store for free or from the architecture school that, that was at Southern poly. Um, but you know, having that this idea of a game and showing that you can complete it was was one of the key fact. In fact, um, one of the so we interviewed. Mo- um, I think eighty percent of them were seniors. Some of them were uh, 
or sophomores who were going to become seniors, and this is during the summer last year. And one of the kids we hired was, uh, he was a, what was it? He wasn't a freshman. He's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had just started in the game design uh, uh, classes. And he had a portfolio of like four or five games that he had started and completed. Mm-hmm. And this is like projects that he's been working on since high school. Right. So we could definitely yeah. see, and, and the quality of his work wasn't, you know, at the caliber of, uh, say, a senior who had gone through all the courses. But the fa- very fact that he had started a project and finished it without it being for a class really showed me that he had the drive to do things. So that's something that that I also strive for now. So yeah. when I when I'm going to some somewhere that I'm going to show them, hey, look, I'm working on things, um, you know, and this is this is important to me. It's this isn't just a job. This is a passion of mine. Yeah, I agree. So, and that's like this uh, this concept that I've, I'm kind of getting from you, which is basically just immersing yourself in your passion. And mm-hmm. that's something you've done over your career. And what you're essentially saying, you're recommending for new game developers to get into and immerse themselves in their passion. Because, you know, and this is across all, all industries, but like companies, regardless of, you know, the industry you're in, they usually require some amount of experience, you know, mm-hmm. industry experience. Uh, before you even get a job or they look at your resume. Uh, but, you know, you you always notice that in the job description, they're like, you know, or equivalent, you know, like have this uh, experience or equivalent. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that outside projects and those other passion projects you're working on, on the side is that equivalence that they're looking for. And that we, what you saw in that other intern that you guys hired. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, this whole concept of, you know, immersing yourself into passion is really key, I think, to you know, I guess bypassing that stereotype of being it, you know, getting into that industry, getting into yeah. such a tough industry. And I, I guess I also have a piece of advice to so say you have a full time job. You don't have the time to do all of that stuff. You know, say you have a family at home and you want to get into this, mm-hmm. even not even with the lack of, of having that, having the, the knowledge there might be you know enough. So say you, you can break down the game mechanics of this game that you've played. Or, or things, and you can you can really talk about it and what you would improve. Like that's one of the things. Uh, I think I when I was in school, I was applying to uh, uh, Cartoon Network. This might have actually been when Ryan was working there. Um, <laughs> but I was applying for an internship, and one of the questions was, ha- "Have you played the games on our website?" And I, I of course said yes because I had gone and played a few of them. Uh, but they were like, "Okay, well, what is your critique of some of these?" And I was like. Uh, what? So you want me to diss on your game? But it was it was actually a very helpful exercise because I went through it and not just looked at it as if I was playing it, but looked at it at it from a design standpoint. And it was it, it was educational for me and also gave me something to talk about when I had a phone interview, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, "Well, what what do you think of the games?" And I was able to break it down into uh, you know mechanics, aesthetics, uh, you know all these different categories and actually you know, uh, I can't, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> don't worry. It happens I guess, you, I guess obviously. describe it to them, <laughs> um, in, in a, in a cohesive way. Gotcha. It makes sense. Cool. Actually, one thing uh, when you were talking about like your interviewing at Cartoon Network, it kind of reminded me of a question that I didn't even ask you, uh, which was why programming? Why did you decide to do engineering as opposed to, 
uh, maybe 3D modeling or, you know, some other aspect or even game design. Like you, you, you've kind of hovered over this idea that you were, you know, you really liked, you know, dissecting games and breaking them down and find out what works and what doesn't work and what you can improve on, what you, you know, can improve on. So why did you choose engineering? Um, I think it falls back to my, my past of, of, you know, physics and mathematics and, and things like that. I love logic. I love solving problems. And uh, I know Andrew said this multiple times on the show before, but uh, in, a, in a way, game programming is one of the purest forms of problem solving. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to go make this website and I have these set uh, requirements and it's going to match those perfectly when it's done. It's, it's mm-hmm. okay, this is a constantly evolving beast, you know, and you have to keep adapting. And that's, that's super appealing to me. So it's, it's, in a way, it, it, to me, it's it's more like there's this feeling when you get a math problem and you can't figure it out and then you figure it out and you're like, yeah, I got it. Right. <laughs> and so you get that. But like tenfold with game design, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I solve a problem. So it's that orgasmic two, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you say it how it is, man. Say it how it is. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, that's really interesting. So. Let's let's uh, I guess step back to you're leaving college, you're graduating from college, and you found this new job, which happened to be a virtual reality games development studio. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, what made you? I know I know there's game development, but then there's also virtual reality, which is another beast in, in of itself. So, what made you go for virtual reality? Um, I had never done it before. I had uh, I think prior to starting. I had tried on a virtual virtual reality headset like once Mm -hmm. and I had like, so one of my professors had actually made like a webinar um, about doing AR. Right. And so he was doing AR and then he was also, uh, which was way awesome to me, but it was saying it was like, Oh, well it's really hard. It's not quite there yet. Um, And, and, I should really focus on VR. And I was like, eh, you know, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into when I got into it, to be honest. Gotcha. Excuse me. So, so was there, um, what about the field, uh, in working with virtual reality, uh, or AR made it particularly difficult to, you know, grasp or even what made it particularly easy? Like what about this company that you joined and the, the work that they were doing made it difficult or made it easy, depending on how you. Um, it. it was both difficult and easy for me. So one of the first things I did when I joined the company was um, uh, look at the, the head tracking code. So uh, a guy that was there way before me, uh, he's a genius programmer, at least uh, I think he is, uh, but he overcomplicated his code a lot. So we were trying to figure out uh, there was, there was a bug in the pro in the, in the head tracking software and we couldn't figure out what it was. I had to go through and debug it all. Uh, and my math background really, really helped out with that. So I was well, actually right next to the desk I was working in. I had a whole wall that had a, uh, um, a whiteboard on it. And I was like covering the whiteboard and like, you know, uh, math equations for finding the difference between angles and all this different mm. stuff. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is really hard to get through and doing matrix multiplication for the quaternions and things like that. Uh, that made it easier for me because I knew that was a, a, a uh, I guess an area that I was comfortable with. So solving math problems was, was easy for me. Uh, it may not have been easy, but it was a, it's a comfort zone, 
right? Yeah, so you yeah. give me a math problem. I'm going to go solve this math problem. You give me a complex problem that might not have a right answer. That's less, uh, less comforting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I accept the challenge. Um, so one of the, one of the things that was, that was really hard in, uh, switching from normal game design to VR game design was this, this concept of player mobility, uh, and, and taking control away from the player when they're in the headset, which, uh, if you guys don't know, causes a lot of disorientation and causes that queasiness that you feel, um, when you have that headset on. So, having to try to find unique ways around that, especially with the company that I work with, uh, they do stuff for research, right? So they're researching the, I guess the efficacy of, uh, virtual reality on things like exposure therapy. Uh, so to them, it's really important that all the test subjects see the same thing and experience the same thing in the same order, which is really hard to do when you have a free roaming VR game. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's trying to find that fine line between, okay, I'm going to make this person throw up and this person needs to see this one thing. I see. Interesting. Yeah. VR in general seems like a very interesting field, especially mm-hmm. if you're doing it in the realm of research. <laughs> that seems like a, you know, the, uh, I guess a nice place to meet, you know, VR yeah. and research and education. Uh, so anyways, you know, I feel like on our, our Facebook group in, in the lounge, we've get a lot of people that, you know, pop in and then ask questions about like, what's the best VR headset uh, for beginning game development or beginning AR or VR development. Um, and I know you've been in this VR company and VR world for quite a while now. What sort of VR hardware and software have you been introduced over your years? Um, let's see. I started out actually uh, on a, on the phone. Actually, well, no, that's not not true. Uh, I started out with uh, it was like a, a PC rig with a Sony HMZ, and I think it was also a, a headset called the. Um, I think it, I, I can't remember whether it was Sony or not, but it was the the Imagine. I think Imagine, yeah. Um, started with an E. It is. It was basically a bare bones like goggles only. It didn't block out any light. It was just two screens in front of your face. Uh, and then the Sony HMZ was basically this thing that it's like a front heavy goggles. That was really, uh, it, it was, it was very uncomfortable to wear cause it didn't have a top. Well, not when I was at first, when I was using, it, it didn't have a top strap to it. So oftentimes it would kind of slide forward on your face. Um, and then when I actually got into fully programming for VR, I was using, uh, like iPhone and Android. And this is, um, it was during the 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 really the beginning of Google Cardboard, but we actually weren't using Google Cardboard. We were using uh, this uh, software from I think it was Dive. Um, they they sold a bunch of headsets later, and I think they they moved more towards that. But they had a horrible uh, uh, tracking drift to it when on iPhones. It was it was not very conducive to a, a nice. Uh, non-nauseating (laughs) (laughs) environment yeah um and then we also more recently moved to uh oculus and vive which um it my suggestion if if you're going to get into vr is look at the vive um it it's amazing on what it can do so to be able to move around in the physical environment is 
it takes that immersion that that originally was in the original VR like mode is, oh, my God, I'm here and takes that to holy crap. I'm actually here. Yeah, you know, I like actually, yeah, I, I, I can actually reach out and touch this world. Uh, hmm. It's great. It's not very cost of effective right now for companies to uh, make games for because there's not a big enough uh, audience. Mm-hmm. But if you want to see the future, look at that because hmm. I, I feel like that's where we're going. Interesting. So vibe over <clears throat> vibe over things like uh, I guess more the more embedded uh, PlayStation VR type things. Uh, uh, PlayStation like VR the... makes me nauseous, so I tend okay. to stay away. Other people don't have problems with it, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may have just been the room I was testing it in, mm-hmm. but PlayStation VR allows you to lean and, and move around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But it really doesn't allow you to, okay, I'm going to take 10 steps that way and be mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really amazing that uh, the vibe does do that. Mm-hmm. So so does VR is that the is that the niche that of game development that makes you makes you I guess squirm, makes your toes tickle, make you happy? Is that is that your your the aspect of game development that you really like, uh, or is it what you happen to like? Right uh, it's what I'm happening happen to work in right now. Okay. Um, aspects of game development that I really like are making games that i would like to play uh okay i'm working on a game right now with andrew and it's uh, it's not this huge like awesome first person shooter that like i tried to do in school but it's this smaller scale you know to me really fun uh character driven uh roguelike game and Mm -hmm. it's nothing like i've ever worked on before Hmm. but it's something that i would want to play as a as a person who plays games avidly, so like making something that I would use mm-hmm. is is my passion. Gotcha. So you're saying, regardless of console or platform, regardless of mm-hmm. mobile VR, it doesn't matter as long as you're passionate about it. That's what you're excited about. Absolutely. Sweet dogs. Um. So yeah, I guess we're starting to wrap up, but I just wanted to talk more about, I guess, your maturity as a developer, as going from this gamer who was, you know, kind of focused more just on the playing of the game and to more of this, the creator of the game and how that maturity has happened. Um, do you, well, let me just actually ask this flat out. Do you feel like you've improved as a developer over the years since graduation? Um, absolutely, actually. Um, like, when I graduated school, I, I, I was definitely had that immaturity of like, oh well, it's going to be easy. I'll be able to do any. I, I can do anything in code. Mm-hmm. And then now I like now I see there are limitations to code, but those limitations aren't aren't what's stopping people from making good games. What's stopping people from making from making good games is uh, the what what to say here? It's the the lack of motivation to finish so there's always uh, what i've noticed in all of my projects including ones for work is i've uh, i've reached this point where it's like okay the prototype's there Mm -hmm. i have these things that i need to do but they're not fun and getting Mm -hmm. over that hurdle is something that not it doesn't just take you know persistent it takes a maturity of mind i think you know, to say, okay, this isn't going to be fun, but it has to happen. And once I get through this, I'm going to have fun again, hmm. you know, um, yeah. and as well as uh, 
like programmatically I've matured. So I think when I started working, um, it was, I was programming in, uh, in unity's JavaScript almost exclusively. I knew C sharp, I knew C plus plus, but I was like, ah, JavaScript's great. You know, everything works great. Mm-hmm. And then I came to VBI and I was like, uh, eh, well, okay. Everybody's programming in C sharp. I should probably program in C sharp. Mm-hmm. I did that, but everything was still so brute force with me and not so structured or, uh, I guess encapsulated. Right. So mm-hmm. it was, it was big, long scripts and I, I still make big, long scripts like a dummy today, <laughs> but, uh, I think everyone now, gets caught with the, the monolithic script. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but now I'm, uh, you know, in making games outside of work as well as with work, I've started to really develop these systems now mm-hmm. that, that do the work and allow me to add to them later without having to modify the entire program. So for instance, one of the things I just did in my, uh, my project that I'm working on with Andrew is I made this whole action based system. So for instance, if I'm trying to attack an enemy, uh, I have my melee attack, my range attack, or my special attack. So I designed this whole action-based system to say, okay, I want to attack, start up this action, which is melee, or start up this action, which is uh, you know ranged shot. Right. And then th- that whole system allows me to say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to add a new action here. I'm going to add mm-hmm. special attack. And all I'll have to do is say, okay, new action, special attack, make the code in that one class. And now I've added it to the project. Right. And that's so much easier. Nice. And that's something that I would not have even thought of, you know, when I started. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, improvement is really good. Uh, speaking of, um, I guess, just general level of improvements and where you see you've grown the most or grown the least. Um, would you, How would you rate, actually, yeah, let's do this. How, how would you rate yourself as a, a Unity developer? And let's do like expert, intermediate, beginner, noob. Right? Um. <laughs> I would say expert only because I've used it almost exclusively mm-hmm. uh, in my programming career. Right. Cool. Uh, so I, I know all the ins and outs. I know the engine's weaknesses. I know the engine's uh, strengths, things like that. Uh, now, if if you were to say what whether uh, like coding wise, like just in general, yeah, I would so. say probably uh, intermediate. So yeah, the next one I was going to ask you is like, as a game developer, what would you rate yourself in expert, intermediate, or beginner? Just as a general game developer. I'm going to add advanced in there. So in okay. between intermediate and expert. And expert? Advanced. Just because... You'd, you'd say... Adv- yeah. Advanced game developer. Okay. And and it's software in, and software developer. So software general developer, software. Uh, I would say uh, intermediate, I guess. Uh, I, I'm not the best software engineer. Mm-hmm. Um I like to plan, but I don't like to plan too much. I really love jumping in there and writing mm-hmm. things and then go, oh, crap, this doesn't work. Let me rewrite it. Um, oh, okay. That actually makes me brings up a good question. Uh, you said um, as a game developer, you rate yourself advanced, and as a software developer, you, you kind of put yourself in intermediate mm-hmm. range. Where do you think that uh, that divide happens between game developer and software developer that you know, as far as skill set goes, that makes you rate yourself lower in one over the other. Um, if that question makes sense. It, it's, it's both in the planning process and the problem solving process. So, uh, what I see myself as, I feel like I'm very good at solving problems. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not very good at planning ahead for knowing there's going to be a problem there. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> so, so you're saying game developers are bad at predicting problems. Not necessarily. <laughs> I'm saying I'm bad at that. Uh, <laughs> but I'm saying programmers are very good at, uh, in most of the ones that I've met, are very good at solving problems as they come up. Mm-hmm. And someone uh, who is... You know, purely a software engineer is going to know there's going to be a problem there. Is going to plan accordingly or mm-hmm. design a system that will avoid that problem. And I tend to just go too quickly through that stage, mm-hmm. and that's why I think I'm less uh, less advanced in the software engineering department. That's funny. That's that's actually interesting. You know, I would almost I would almost say the opposite. Actually, like mm-hmm. the game developer. And this is just me musing, I guess. But the game developer does hit a lot of snags in places that, uh, like, because I think we've mentioned it in thousands of times, and I feel like I always say it, but how fluid game development is. And not to say software development isn't fluid, and that's why they have Agile mm-hmm. or whatever. But I'm just saying, it feels like, and maybe it's just because I am a game developer, so I'm kind of biased in that regard. Mm-hmm. But that they reach these, they hit a lot of snags, a lot of questions, a lot of problems, un unmet problems even that uh depending on the the type of software that you're making you may not experience or you may not ever get to experience um so anyway that i i think it's it's probably both both sides would say the exact same thing but anyway i just think game developers really hard uh regardless of the platform regardless of the the game Uh, i agree so maybe it is just software anyway that, that that was fun i just want how would you rate yourself as a person uh, negative two. <laughs> uh, you pass. Good job. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, so, okay, cool. So if there was one thing, since we're just talking about like experience levels, I guess, if there is one thing that you can point at over the years, over last year, over last month, uh, that you believe you've made a huge improvement on as a developer, what would you point to? Uh, systems design, like hands down, like, uh, I was developing with Andrew this this game, this roguelike that we're making, and I was I was doing what I always do. I was going headfirst into it, not really planning on what I was going to do. And I I'm not uh, Andrew was like hadn't looked at my code a lot, but he sent me this this article on um uh, I can't remember. Uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna have to put it in the show notes, but I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, but it basically walked through how this guy made, you know, his roguelike and how it was, you know, how it was structured, how he did things to save uh, computational power, how he did things, that, uh, you know, to make decisions easier to add and subtract. And that's what, a lot of where I got my ideas of that action based system from. And just reading that article really changed the way I thought about how I was coding and, and made me you know, really grow as a, as a developer versus just, I'm just going to sit here and keep hitting my head against the wall and keep hard, hard coding a bunch of things. Hmm. So like literally in the last two months, I feel like I've, I've grown a lot as a coder and as a game developer. Nice. So in that same vein, what, what did you, what do you see as seeing yourself as needing to improve upon uh, sooner rather than later, I guess. Uh, Improve upon probably my, uh, ability to take criticism and to take advice. Ooh, uh, I do not. Uh, it, I am very argumentative and not necessarily to be argumentative and, and uh, like, Oh, I'm proud of my stuff and you're wrong. Cause I'm right. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. More of, 
I don't understand. So I'm trying to keep talking about it mm-hmm. so that I will eventually understand. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I think I come off too bullheaded and like, oh, no, that's wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I, I need to learn to take other people's advice and, you know, accept the fact that they might know more than me on that topic. So interesting. These are good answers. This is a nice window into Zachary Snyder. I'm loving it. So cool <laughs> to to move. I guess this is, I guess, last question, I guess. Um, when in your, I guess, game of, it could be in this roguelike or just in any game that you work on or just in life in general, <laughs> have you felt like most out of the loop or out of control? And you're like, what the heck do I do now in, in a particular piece of code or a particular piece of software where you just felt like you had, you had no, no idea how to fix a problem. Do you have uh... like a story like that? Yes, I do. So one of the uh, first like standalone projects that I did uh, without anybody else's help um, was one of the one of our applications uh, for VBI, which was Fear of Flying, um, and it required me to take a, a a person, put them in VR, and have them sitting in a 3D environment while watching a video that's playing on a video plane. And this is back, I think, probably before, this is right before 4.6 came out. So Unity didn't have, like, now 5.6 allows you to, uh, you know, play movies on an iPhone without having to have a plug-in. That didn't exist back then. So you couldn't play movies unless it was full screen on an iPhone. Mm. Um, And it was, I went through probably five or six different video player plugins. And they were not working. Hmm. Like I couldn't get anything to work. And I was like, I'm expected to complete this. I have no idea how to complete it. Hmm. And I was just, I, I was stumped. I hadn't, it, without having to go and learn how to, you know, Write do all the, the graphics and calculations and <laughs> yeah. all that stuff to make a video play on a texture. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I, I was lost. Uh, fortunately, Andrew actually found a, uh, a plugin that worked with iOS. I think it was uh, actually in beta at that point and it worked and it, it made everything much, much better. I mean, it, it wasn't great because again, you're uh, a lot of the stuff that we were, were developing wasn't really meant to be on mobile. It was all being hacked into mobile from PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had uh, assets that were, had no business being on, on mobile. And we're trying to render that twice with two different cameras and render a video playing at the same time that was not compressed because that was the only format this video player would come in. They you know, having to, and, and all of this is playing on a, a iPhone four, not four S. I think it was a four. So it was we Old had school. like yeah we had like five twelve megabytes of RAM. Yeah, I was like yeah. uh, I don't know whether this is possible. But we eventually did get it working. But uh, that was one point where I really felt like I was like, okay, I I don't know how to do this. Dang, interesting. Yeah, that sounds tough. That looks like the answer is plugins, <laughs> asset store. <laughs> Not always, but in this case, yes. In this case, yes. Sweet man, I think that that just about wraps up our time. But before we go, I just wanted to know. Um, do you have any lingering, you know, some parting advice you'd like to live, leave with our listeners who? Maybe gamers as well, maybe avid gamers, maybe just graduating college, maybe young, uh, you know, may not have, uh, I guess, the strict computer science degree or, you know, coming from the, the same position that you are coming that you would like to give them and 
uh, or it could be something completely different and out of the, out of scope. <laughs> Just let me know if there's any uh, advice you'd like to. I so like th- this is a little bit of a story, but not really. It's I was watching a YouTube video uh, earlier today on somebody who was reviewing uh, a game that's out that's Overwatch, mm-hmm. and he was saying. He was basically talking about some of the game mechanics and how they could be improved. He's like, now, I'm not a game designer, but I think this could this could really make this game better. And as a game designer, listening to what he was saying, he had a very, very valid point, right? So my point is, you don't have to, you know, you always have something can, to contribute, you know? So if, if you think you can add something to, to a project or think you can, uh, you know, have a positive effect on something, don't let anything stop you. Just go and do it. Hmm. That, my friend, is a good piece of pardon advice. Love it. Noise. All right. Well, that wraps up our time, Zach. It was great having you on the show as an interviewer. It, it was nice not to have to be the generator of ideas. It was really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was annoying next to writing that line. But anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was a good time, man. I loved it. Yep. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that our listeners are going to really enjoy this one. From Gamer to Game Developer, A Tale of Proving Out Passion with Zachary Snyder. Oh, yeah. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And we're back. And uh, that was another great interview. And this time we have Zach that's on the outro with me. So, yeah, no more awkward. Not, <laughs> no, not talking formal stuff exactly anyway i really enjoyed that zach thank you for taking time to talk about that it, about it, was, it was a lot of fun I, I was a little nervous starting out but it, i mean I, it was a lot of fun yeah you can tell you can tell with me because i stutter like 18 times at the beginning but anyway <sighs> anyway let's talk about our uh, intimate our semi-exclusive uh, debug lounge which is our facebook group if you want to join in on that action we have a lot of good conversations there a lot of people getting answering questions asking questions answering questions um you know posting about what they're working on so it's really good community really laid back community yep and um, if you want to uh if you want to get into that you can uh just uh you can request it on facebook or you can sign up for our newsletter uh and we'll get you added to that I feel like we're slowly getting away from the newsletter thing, Zach. Are we? Because <laughs> I don't know. Because Edward, I'm not sure how how consistently we're being. So okay. we have to keep ourselves honest. But anyway, make okay, sure well, the, the easiest request... way, the best way. Yeah, exactly. Just request it. Um, outside of that, uh, you want to talk about our Patreon? Sure. Our Patreon page is um, how, it's Patreon uh, at. Uh, Jeez. Damn, damn. Yeah, man, I, I murdered that. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and take it away there, Hubby? I'll take it away. If you want to support the group and you like what we're doing here, uh, like Eduardo always says, you want to support us, you can find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the debug log, Zach, uh, and send oh, us a, that's a, where that is. Okay. a donation yeah. of however many I'm you want. I'm lost without, some... without Eduardo, man. I'm lost for that. You really are. But anyway, there's there's some special perks on the on that page as well, some small perks. So we're we're steadily and slowly adding more perks to, you know, being a patron. So we really appreciate it and it really helps us out for sure. And if you have any ideas for perks like things you want to see, uh just suggest them but they might turn up. So word up. So anyway, if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at obeans, that's O with an H, beans with a Z. And I am at WookieJumper42. Oh, it's been real. 
right? And uh, just for the future, uh, Andrew and I are, are working on our game. I, I think I talked about it a few times in the episode. Uh, but we're actually looking at starting a developer blog, so uh, keep an eye out for that, uh, or an ear out for that, that is, uh, in the future, and we'll uh, we'll share that with you guys. Exclusive plug at the very last minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, bye. See ya.